So I want to know, um, a raise of hands, if you by chance are jumpy when it comes to being scared of things. Maybe watching a scary movie or walking around the neighborhood. Who are my jumpy people? Don't poke them. I, I am among you. I, I remember watching scary movies kind of like this, waiting for it to pop out as a kid and, and being terrified. In fact, even at church, this is a, a holy place, is a good place, but the roof will creak and it'll be cause enough to make me jumpy and scared, right? Um, well, I was doing some research about being jumpy, and do you know some people actually enjoy getting scared? Yeah, and so uh, these are the people who go to haunted houses, who have fun walking around the neighborhoods and having something pop out or watching scary movies. I did some research on why this is. Um, basically, it's literally exciting. It triggers your fight or flight response. It gets the adrenaline pumping. But what I also found is that the key to enjoying being scared is that it's a controlled environment. That if you go to a movie theater, it might be scary and something might jump out on the screen, but in the back of your mind, you're like, no, but I'm okay, I'm just watching a movie, right? If you go to a scary place, a neighborhood, a haunted house, uh, something might pop out, but you know actually nothing's going to happen, I'm in the neighborhood, it's, it's all right, this is controlled. Because the reality is, if you're truly frightened and feel out of control, no one enjoys that. <laughs> No one enjoys this feeling that something bad could happen to them or their health and safety are in danger. No one enjoys being terrified. And therein lies the problem because I don't know about you, but we live in a world where there are many things that can cause us to be afraid. And that's my first takeaway. I, I believe, again, uh, as I get it up here, that um, <laughs> there are many things that can frighten us, right? In fact, maybe you have some things like that. Beyond ghosts and goblins, you have those fears of what's going to happen in the future. Um, as you look at our country, you have those fears of what can happen to your children as they go off here and there. You have those fears of what could happen if the diagnosis goes a certain way and you find, ah, literal fear is a real thing. But that's why I love being in this place. And that's why I love if you joined us online, if you're new in this place, because this place, the church of God, it's like a lighthouse. It's a refuge. It's a safe place. And it's safe not because the people are so good, even though I really like them. It's safe not because the food is so good, but the donuts are great. It's safe because in this place, we find God. And here's what you need to know about him. He's in control. So if it takes control to finally be at peace, you find here a God who is in control and still is holding you in the palm of his hand. A God so in control that he planned your rescue through Jesus Christ. And there's something I, I love about um, what Jesus has done for us. He has released us from fear through his love. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, here's just a phenomenal verse about the love of God. It says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. If today you could realize you are loved perfectly, completely, I think you have the right to live without fear. In fact, I have an exercise for you. I wanted you to spend some mental energy and imagine something that's truly scary for you. 
again, beyond ghosts and goblins, you can do what you want with your mind here, um, but imagine something that would truly cause you fear. I was thinking of some of the answers, and maybe for some it's being in a hospital. Maybe for some it's by a graveside. Maybe for some it's bankruptcy or separation or job loss. But now, whatever that was, I want you to picture the almighty God right by you. And I want you to hear him say, I got you. And I got this. And I love you. Do you have the right for peace? Absolutely. There is no situation you can be in where the Almighty God can't come in and say as he did to his disciples, peace be with you. Peace is yours through me who is in control. And that's what I want to talk about today through the lens of God's word. And so we are concluding our series called Ghostbusters and uh, thank you for permitting some shameless plugs to the movie. Today we're saying I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Um, and last week, who are you going to call? Um, and actually today is a cautionary tale. Today we're going to learn about what not to do through the life of a man named Saul. And when it comes to a scary story, if you're into him at all, as I look at the Bible, I don't know a scarier story than Saul. Here, here's why. Saul starts out really well. He is picked by God to be God's representative. But then things turn. I believe in his heart, Saul had rejected God, and the fruit of that rejection led to disobedience. There was a time where God said, do something very specifically, destroy this nation, and he did not. I believe it was a fruit of what his heart was saying, that he had already rejected God. And what happened is that God actually rejected him, which an almighty God has the right to do. And so here we have Saul, who is apart from God, and now in a very hard circumstance, a scary circumstance, where he is against the Philistines, and he's going to battle against them, and he's wondering what's going to go on, and he doesn't have the Lord by his side. And so instead of going to the Lord, what he does is he consults with a witch. And where we see is where this leads him. That if things were bad before, at the end of this, I think it's only going to be worse, all because he dives into the occult. I'm going to invite you to stay seated because this is a longer story. It's a great story, though, so I know there's a lot of verses. I just invite your attention to it uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 28. Here it is. Now Samuel, God's prophet, was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land, but the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. That was his circumstance. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Uh, this was something used back in the day to kind of uh, talk to God, something used in the tabernacle, uh, kind of interesting. And again, to understand this in the light of the context of whole of Scripture, I think this is also because Saul had already rejected God, so God can again reject others. Um, but anyway, um, Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. Well, there is one in Endor, they said. 
So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult his spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice. And that's interesting. Some think that um, she didn't actually have power. And so when something actually happened, she's like, well, this is surprising to me. Um, but anyway, um, and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So knew something else was going on. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself to his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now? The Lord has departed from you and, and become your enemy. <laughs> the Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and give it to your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Whew. Talk about bad to worse. The result? Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you ever heard this lesson before? I know I've never preached on it, but some have heard of it. Uh, it, it it's really, really interesting account when the spiritual world is considered. Um, but for us to be at peace, can you just turn to your neighbor and say, Be at peace, you have perfect love. Be at peace, you have perfect love. All right, so we'll try to keep things light, even though this is some heavy words, right? Uh, in that attempt, uh, do you have a favorite movie to watch during this time of year? Uh, don't all choose this one, but what about Hocus Pocus? Yeah. And Hocus Pocus was a great one about witches, um, kind of scary witches and what they were doing with the, the kids and everything, um, but uh, it was interesting. And, and it's fun to like, consider dressing up. It's fun to consider these things in a silly way. But then when people take it seriously, uh, that's where I think it starts becoming concerning. And I wanted to segue from made-up witches to real witches. In fact, I was reading an article that says that hip witchcraft is on the rise in America. People were doing studies of those who wanted to do witchcraft, and they found that in 2001, there were about 100,000 Wiccans. Today, there are about 2 million. Um, in fact, about a decade ago, it would have been not in vogue to publish like spells online or, or to talk about witchcraft or, or things of that matter. Now you can go on TikTok, and there's a whole TikTok handle just dedicated to witchcraft. This is a different age. Well, as they were doing studies, they found maybe a correlation because if you've researched the millennials, they're known as the nuns, a lot of them. 
And none has to do not with the Catholics. Um, it has to do with religious affiliation. That many are claiming they have no religious affiliation. Because of that, I think interest in the occult could be on the rise. In fact, as I was studying for today's lesson, one of the commentators put it this way. Um, he said, uh, where there is a spiritual vacuum, the occult becomes popular. I also looked at some of the ideals of Wiccanism, and, um, and one of the ideals, something that is appealing, is that it's a place where you can do your own thing and it's accepted. And you just think of how appealing that is. I just want to do what I want to do. In fact, they have one rule, um, and that is, as long as no one gets hurt, don't harm anyone. But I actually think that's a non sequitur. I think when everyone is doing what they want to do, someone will get hurt. <laughs> uh, and I think that, that happens through the book of Judges. That's a, a topic for a different time. But the question I wanted to bring up to you is this. When diving into a different spiritual realm, apart from God, does that make life better or does it make it worse? And here's where Saul's story enters in. So Saul, again, um, had rejected God and God had rejected him. And now, um, even though at one time he had said, don't go to mediums and spiritists, that's exactly what he does. And this is a tangent teaching, but sin is always illogical. Fear-based decisions are illogical, and, and that's where Saul is. And Saul, um, as he approaches this witch, um, gets disguised. Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, which is, by the way, I thought it was a fitting Halloween text because he's the first one dressing up. Um, I don't know if it was Buzz Lightyear or Woody, probably not. Um, and, and I think in general, like, getting dressed up is kind of fun, Right? Um, in fact, if you were here yesterday, there was a, a lot of people dressed up in a great way. We had an amazing trunk or treat. Um, I thought there were about 700 people here. Um, in fact, uh, uh, here's a picture of some of those who are dressed up. I love the Hulk there. I love skeleton. There we go, right? Uh, just amazing thing to get dressed up. In fact, maybe that's what some of you are going to do today. But what Saul is doing here, it's a little bit different. Saul is not getting dressed up because he's going trick-or-treating. Saul is getting dressed up because he's dealing with shame. And something about living in shame and guilt is that you want to live in disguise. I consider the account of Adam and Eve. Remember when they eat from that tree? What do they do in the garden? They tried to hide from God. God even said, where are you? Right? Have you eaten from that tree? And so what I find is this kind of principle, that shame makes us want to dress up and hide. So if you've ever wanted to use the cover of darkness, if you've ever been in a place where you're like, I hope no one notices me here, if you've ever been in that place, it's usually a tip-off that you're up to no good. It's usually an ultimate red flag of don't go here. But I'm also reminded of this proverb. This dichotomy that, yes, shame might make us hide, but what would righteousness do? In Proverbs 28, it says this. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, right? Um, the wicked, who are up to no good, they're always scared that something's going to happen because in their heart of hearts, they know they're up to no good. But what about the righteous? The righteous are as bold as a lion. I wanted to talk about that because we have the Spirit of God in here. 
what would it look like for a whole crowd, a whole church family to walk out of these doors as bold as lions? I remember when I had a buddy who did this. I was on a mission trip uh, in South Carolina with three other guys who are all now pastors. And um, we were going door to door, which I know is not quite in vogue anymore. Uh, but we were going door to door and we were inviting people to church. And, um, and it was all good and, and we were pretty courageous until a ferocious dog. Now, I know there are dog lovers here. I love dogs. But have you ever met a dog that seemed like it wanted to tear you apart? Like, this wasn't like just minor barking. This was like stay away barking because I'm ferocious, right? I don't know if it was a pit bull or a rottweiler. I forget. But anyway. And so three of us, I thought, were wise, and we walked right by that house. Sorry, good luck. You have a ferocious dog. Not Shane. Shane is now a pastor in a bold way for God. Shane walks through the fence by the dog up to the porch where the guy was who was observing all of this and invites him to church. I call that righteous swagger. <laughs> Shane knows I'm on a mission from God, even better than the Blues Brothers. I am going to, to invite this person to church, and it's going to work, right? What if you and I live that way? Tomorrow's Monday. What if you wake up tomorrow and you say, you know what? I'm going to be up to good things. I got the spirit. I love Jesus. Today, I'm going to be the best worker. I'm going to be the best spouse. I'm going to be a student. I'm going to be the best uh, sibling. I'm going to be the best friend. And tomorrow, as you wake up with that dedication, what's going to stand in your way? If you know God is on your side, if you know you're in his will, why do you have to be afraid of anything? You might face obstacles, but you don't have to fear them. And so the dichotomy to Saul is this principle, that the righteous ain't afraid of no obstacles. They go on mission trips, they canvass, they start churches, uh, they love people, they're generous, they give without abandon, all because they know they're up to good things. But perhaps the most interesting part of this whole lesson, and I, I know I could nerd out on this a little bit, and I will, is what's going on with Samuel, right? And when it comes to uh, conjuring up Samuel, you know, I, I read a lot of commentary this past week, and there are really two different options. One option of Samuel is that it really was him and God allowed this to happen. And another is that this was demonic activity for Samuel to appear in this regard. So as we turn to verse 13, and, and Saul is with the witch, um, this is what it says. I see a powerful spirit coming up out of the earth. And uh, this is a translation from our church body, the Evangelical Heritage Version. I, I love that translation as well. Um, but the Hebrew was the word Elohim. Here translated powerful spirit. And that was curious to me because Elohim is a word used for God. But in the context, this is obviously not God. What it can mean is gods, what it can also mean is spirits. So as I was doing some research, I found that the early church were all in agreement that this was a devil. In fact, Martin Luther uh, spurred on the Reformation, which we celebrate this time of year. Uh, Martin Luther said this. He said, the raising of Samuel by a soothsayer witch in 1 Samuel was certainly merely a specter of the devil. And I actually tend to agree with this. I agree with it for a few reasons, um, because um, when Elijah and Moses appeared in transfiguration, they were in a glorified state, not here with Samuel. 
I agree with this because in general, believers would not be disturbed from their time with the Lord. It would be very unsettling to be in eternal bliss and then come back to earth where there are a whole bunch of problems. (laughs) And I agree with this probably mostly because why would God acquiesce when this is a clear violation of his will? Why would he kind of reward bad activity? Those on the other side, those who say this is actually Samuel and it was from God, the reason they say this is because he gave true words. He gave true words. But it's funny because this Samuel also doesn't give any grace, any gospel if you look at it. And these words actually just lead to more fear. Now, I know I nerded out. Thank you for bearing with me. What's the point? Where does this all lead, Saul, regardless of from God or not from God? Where does this encounter with the witch lead him? Verse 20. Saul immediately fell full length on the ground. Not only was he terrified because of Samuel's words, but he also had no strength left because he had eaten no food all that day and all night. What was bad before, now getting away from God, doing things he shouldn't have done, is definitely worse. What we know is that in a few days through this battle, Saul will actually commit suicide. What we know after this account is that one of his last meals will not be with friends, but with a witch in Endor. It's a sad story. You know, it kind of reminds me um, of others who were far away from God and where this led them. Uh, I was doing some research about um, atheists on their deathbed, and uh, there was a philosopher named Voltaire. Maybe some of you have heard of Voltaire. And it was recorded uh, what his deathbed experience was kind of life and what he was saying. Uh, Voltaire said uh, to the nurse attending him, I will give you half of what I'm worth if you'll give me six months of life. When he was told it was not possible, he said, then I shall die and go to hell. His nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. For all night long, he cried for forgiveness. Or what about Napoleon Bonaparte? Heard of him? Uh, He was said uh, this at, at his very end, what an abyss between my deep misery and the eternal kingdom of Christ. And so what I find, the principle in all of this, I find that the further you get from God, the further your fear and your sadness goes. And then I brush up to things going on today and and people are getting further and further away from God. And yet we also see on the rise historic levels of anxiety, of depression, and suicide. I was doing some research about suicide and uh, from 2001 to 2014, uh, suicide rates were up 24%. 24%. It's the 10th leading cause of death. So much that it might even touch some families here. Why? The further we are from God, the further our fear and sadness. I was listening to a brother pastor relate a pastoral experience. He was ministering to a member who knew the Lord and was being called to heaven, but the spouse did not know the Lord. And the spouse's plan, um, because they had rejected the Lord a long time ago, was to commit suicide when the other one was being called. These are tough things. 
These are realities going on even now in the spiritual world that doesn't have any guidance. But what happens when God shows up? What is the goodness of God? Do you know why I don't believe this was God intervening? Because when God had intervened in the past, and he had, he'd showed up in the past, he showed up to Abraham, and he showed up to Elijah, and to Daniel, to Moses. Uh, He showed up through angels to uh, Zechariah, and to Mary, and to Joseph, to Paul. And whenever God shows up, do you know what four words he always shares? Do you remember them? See if you can do the fill-in. The fill-in is right here. Do not be absolutely consistently every time God is in the mix, he shows up, I know I'm awesome, I know this is great, but don't be afraid. And why don't you and I need to be afraid? Because we know the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that Savior has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That Savior's cross covers all the deeds of darkness. It doesn't matter what shame. It doesn't matter what we've done. It is covered through his cross. That one calls you no longer to be a slave to sin, but a slave of righteousness and live for him alone and have the confidence of righteousness as he looks at you as loved. In fact, I I love when Jesus shows up. He has four words better. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. Remember what he shared? First lesson. He shared, peace be with you. And I get to be Jesus' ambassador, and you need to know, Jesus is just here in this place. And if Jesus were saying this to you, this is how you should take it in. That peace is yours. Peace be with you because of Jesus. Not based on your performance, not because you got it all together, but because he is our Savior. And he has redeemed us. How good it is to be by the Lord. I don't want to be anywhere else. Because this is what I find being in the Lord. That the closer you get to God, the closer is your peace and joy. When you grow up in Christian maturity, you live less afraid. You live with a confidence That God is on your side and always with you. There's this huge dichotomy between the ending of King Saul's life and the ending of Paul's life, the apostle. If I could update you, Paul was in Rome and he had true threats on his life. He had shipwrecks and snake bites and floggings and beatings. And and while he was in Rome, he could have faced the Colosseum under Nero. He could have faced death for his faith. But scripture tells us what Paul's activity was like. The very last verse about his life was this. He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without anyone stopping him. The one who could have lived in fear definitely did not. In fact, I love uh, the Christian witness at the time of the Colosseum. Uh, There was a Roman doctor attending to those who were dying in the Colosseum for their faith. And this is what that Roman doctor, Claudius Galenus, said. He said, For fearlessness of death in the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. 
But maybe I don't need to give you historical stories because maybe you've met a Christian like this. I remember my grandfather on his deathbed. He was 93 years old when the Lord called him. But even before this, he was ready to meet the Lord. Met someone like this? He wasn't scared. He wasn't disturbed. He was confident that when the time came, it would be better by far. Because to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Have you met someone like that? That's the peace we can have when we stay close to the Lord. But if I recognize something from this account, another thing I recognize is the power of Christian community. You know, yesterday was a great example of Christian community, and uh, we had the trunk or treat going on, and I I just got to say, I'm so proud of those who are there. Uh, You guys brought your A-game. I mean, cloudy with a chance to meatballs, up, um, you know, Alice in Wonderland, Jurassic Park. Uh, You guys got out of the dinosaur costumes, right? Like, that was, that was, okay. Yep. They're not dinosaurs in here, by the way. Um, It was amazing. And whenever you can rub shoulders with those who are not only friends and doing cool things, but also have a connection to Christ, it's just a good feeling. In fact, in a good community, there's this mutual admiration. Man, I like what you did. Hopefully you like what, what I'm doing. You know, it's just, it's just this, this, this kind of funnel of good. Isn't that what Saul is missing? Do you almost see it in this account? He is a lonely, lonely person away from Christian community. And what is Jesus? Jesus is our best friend who is known for having breakfast on the beach with his disciples. He is known for giving us his body and blood in the sacrament. He is known for taking on flesh and becoming like us so that we could relate to him and have community like none other. And one of the things I recognize is we have a chance that Saul didn't have. And that is to take advantage of the community we have with God. Now, if you hear last week, Pastor Jeff gave us a great way to do this and, and uh, promoted Bible reading. And so we have Bibles here. Grab a Bible if you don't have one. Get into the Word. But I want to take it a step further. We take inventories of things all the time. We take inventories of our budget, of how we spend our time. When's the last time you did a mental inventory? You looked at your life, and you thought of where your thoughts went. I want you to do that real quick. I want you to take a mental inventory of what's usually consuming your mind. Just think about that. Think about your thoughts. For some, work. For some, kids. For some today, football. For some today, a hobby, right? How much of the time are you thinking about God? How much of the time are you ruminating over his promises? Friends, do you agree that if we would do this more often, if we filled our mental space with who he is and what he's doing, that we'd have more peace? That's my challenge to you. To plan to think about him more often. Maybe coordinated with the Bible, maybe by memorizing the Bible, maybe through prayer life, that you're going to plan to have more mental energy spent upon our God. For the psalmist wrote this, The psalmist said, magnify the Lord, make the Lord great with me, and let us exalt his name together. And when the Lord is great in our mind, 
Even when we're lonely, we know his presence. When he's great in our mind, even when we're weak, we have strength. When he's great in our mind, even when something is there to make us afraid, we have the right to live without fear. With the Lord, we ain't afraid of ghosts. We ain't afraid of anything. So friends, enjoy this peace this week. We live in a world where many things can terrify. But know that you have on your side a God who crushed the head of the devil. A God who holds all demons on a leash and can't do a thing without his permission. A God who says again to you, peace is yours. Let me pray for you. We close. Heavenly Father, I pray that people of this time would take you up on the invitation for community, that they might know true joy and peace. Help us to continue to keep our thoughts on you rather than the things that might make us afraid. Most of all, thank you that we know your cross and empty tomb that speak true peace to all of us. Protect us, deliver us from evil, and help us to see you in all things through the eyes of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.